Pastor Aaron and his wife Day and the girls are on vacation, much deserved, much needed vacation. And so he asked if I would share a word with you guys. And uh, it's a very specific word. About five years ago, around this time, I was in the middle of a deep sleep and I woke up around 2 a.m. in the morning, 2 a.m., and I couldn't fall back to sleep. And of course, I'm rustling around and my wife uh, wakes up because I'm rustling around and then she's annoyed that I'm up and then I'm annoyed she's up and, you know. And so we're both up and we're talking around 2 to 3 a.m. in the morning and she's having a conversation with me, actually speaking to me like, like having a conversation. And all of a sudden, God speaks to me audibly. Audibly, I hear God's voice, and I just have to tell you, I've only ever had that happen to me twice in my life. And I know many people who have had that happen many times in their lives. I know many people who that's never happened, and they've been faithful all their lives. And in the way I can describe it, it was just like a sound from within. Like, it wasn't like somebody outside saying something. It actually interrupted our conversation. And I, I stopped my wife, and I said, wait, I think God just spoke to me. She goes, well, I'm talking to you. <laughs> And guys, for the record, if you're married, the Holy Spirit a lot of times sounds like your wife. But he said the word Amos. Amos. And now at 3 in the morning, I'm like, do we know anybody named Amos? And she's like, I don't think so. We're racking our brains. And she goes, isn't that a book of the Bible? I said, yeah, it is. And she goes, well, if God spoke that to you, you should probably, you know, look into it. So from about 3 a.m. until about 6.30 in the morning... I read through the book of Amos multiple, multiple times, and I got nothing. And I'm just going to tell you right now, this is not an exciting book. (laughs) This is one of those books that you open up and be like, yeah, let's go to the good stuff. Where did Jesus rise from the dead? Like, let's do that. Now, at the beginning of this year, at the first of January, Pastor Aaron preached a word. uh, And three times during the first service, second service, and third service, he said, It is time. And right when he did that, Amos flashed back into my mind. I remember what I was sitting, right where Patty was. And then the second service, he said it again. It is time. And the second he said that, again, Amos flashed in my mind. Like, that's weird. Haven't thought about this for a long time. Third, third, uh, I almost said verse. Third service, the same thing happened again. And so I think it's time. Now, I'm going to give you the Cliff Notes version because I have about 32 pages of notes on the book of Amos. I've been studying this thing for like five years, okay? Uh, But what I do want to share with you is what I really feel God is speaking right now, and that's a word on godly justice. Godly justice. When Billy Graham was 92 years old, a journalist asked if he had any regrets. He wished he had spent more time with his family, and then he added, I also would have steered clear from politics. I'm grateful for the opportunities God gave me to minister to people in high places. People in power have spiritual and personal needs like everyone else, and often they have no one to talk to. But looking back, I know sometimes I cross the line, and I wouldn't do that now. You know, in our culture, opinions are strong, but lives and characters are weak. T.S. Eliot once described the current human endeavor as that of finding a system of order so perfect that we will not have to be good. And so, Amos. Verse 1, chapter 1. We find out a little bit about Amos. We find out about this character. The words of Amos, one of the shepherds of Tekoa, the vision he saw concerning Israel two years before the earthquake, when Uzziah was king of Judah, 
and Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, was king of Israel. So in this moment, we find out a couple of things about Amos. Number one, he's from Judah. He's from down south. Now, at this point, Israel is split into two nations. It's Israel, which is 10 tribes up north, and there's Judah, which is two tribes down in the south. And so we know that Amos is a shepherd from down south, but he's going to the north. And we find out that he goes to Bethel, which is where, is where basically a lot of um, idolatrous worship was happening. A lot of the government stuff was there as well. And so he's speaking to the people under King Jeroboam's um, reign, basically. Now, to understand this, you need to know that uh, the people of Israel at that time, they, they had a lot of material wealth. They had won a lot of wars uh, against all the people around them. They were in general safe at this point, but they were very morally poor. And Amos begins by saying that judgment is coming, but he says the judgment is coming on the surrounding nations. He starts with Damascus, and then he just starts going around. It'd almost be like I come to you from Australia, and I show up in America, and I start saying, hey, God's about to judge Canada and Mexico, and just start, like, working my way around. And, and uh, I mean, the amen crowd starts up. He walks in there, and they're like, yeah, amen, they deserve it. Yeah, get them, you know. And, and he says, for three sins, even four. Multiple times. Now, that doesn't mean they only had three sins, and it doesn't mean they only had four. Hell, a lot more than that. But he's basically saying the cup of iniquity has flowed over. God is patient. Let me remind you. Wow, cricket's in my service. <laughs> God is patient. Cricket, cricket, cricket. But God is patient. And when we think of wrath, sometimes we think of God being like, ah, get him, right? No, God is very patient. It, the word wrath is basically like a stored up anger. Like he's continuing to be patient, be patient. You can turn, you can turn, you can turn. But finally the cup overflows. So Amos is in Bethel. He starts circling around. He gets down to the point where all of a sudden he hits Judah. And they're like, all of a sudden the amens kind of quiet down and go like, yeah, I know like we're kind of separated, but Judah's our people and you're from Judah, aren't you? And he says that Judah was rejecting God's law and refusing to keep his commands. And that's honestly what's happening in our nation as well. You know, America has despised God's word. And we've whittled it down in our culture as well as in the church sometimes. There's something like progressive Christianity where people are starting to kind of take out pieces of the word or kind of make it work with whatever's happening in the culture. And we have to be very careful of that. I showed something on Wednesday to the church. It was a picture of what's called the Jefferson Bible. Uh, you can see it in the Smithsonian that Thomas Jefferson actually uh, cut up his Bible and cut out the miracles of Jesus and he cut out the resurrection of Jesus. And he called it the morals and teachings of Jesus. But in America, we've been doing that ever since. We've been cutting out pieces of the word. And we have to be careful with that. And here's the thing. They had the law, and yet they were still committing the same sins as all the neighbors that were surrounding them. And then he turns to Israel. That would be like me going like, Canada, yep. God's about to judge you. Mexico, yeah, God's about to judge you. And then all of a sudden I say, California. You guys are like, well, I mean, I don't like California, but they're like still part of our nation, <laughs> you know? It's like that kind of thing. And then all of a sudden I go, and central Pennsylvania. And all of a sudden they're like, whoa, who are you again? You know, Israel was the chosen people. 
And, and they had great privilege, but with the privilege comes responsibility. The measure of our privilege is the measure of our responsibility. I had a test in uh, cellular neurophysiology was my class in, in college. And it was about as hard as that sounds. And the average for the test was a 45%. If you had a 60 and over, you got an A. Luckily, I got a 62. Yeah, you like that, huh, Jaranita? I got a 62 on it, so I got an A. But let's be honest, did I know the information? No. And here I am judging myself compared to everybody else, but guess what? These people had the answers to the test. <laughs> they had the answers to the test, and they knew what God was saying, and they knew what they were supposed to do, and yet they still were failing. Israel, actually, 1 Peter 4, 17 for it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? It begins in God's household. See, Israel was too confident in their own strength and abilities. And at times, I can see America feels that way too. I, I don't know if I've come up with this or what, but I call it national narcissism. Dallas Willard said this, this has been the end stage of every successful human society that has arisen on earth. Invariably, such a society begins to believe that it is responsible for its success and prosperity and begins to worship itself and rebel against the understandings and practices that allowed it under God to be successful in the first place. In Amos chapter 2, he begins to talk about all of the different issues with, with uh, Israel and basically, as I shared with you at the beginning, a lot of this is focused on justice, godly justice. He says in uh, chapter 2, verse 6, this is what the Lord says, for three sins of Israel, even for four, I will not relent. They sell the innocent for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. They trample on the heads of the poor as on the dust of the ground and deny justice to the oppressed. God goes on to say, like, listen, I actually, do you remember, like, you were in Egypt and you are being taken care of that way, and I got you out of that, and now I brought you to your own land, and I gave you my law and my commands, and now you're doing the same thing that you didn't want done to you. In Amos chapter 3, verse 1, he says, Hear this word, people of Israel, the word the Lord has spoken against you, against the whole family I brought up out of Egypt. You only have I chosen of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all of your sins. Told you this is an exciting book, isn't it? Yeah. So one of my questions, though, whenever I'm thinking about this and when I'm thinking about America is, but there's good people. There's good people still. I mean, God, are you really going to judge a nation? I mean, rightsful assembly of God's pretty good, right? Like, are you going to judge us in the midst of all them? Like, what, why, why do this? And here's the answer in this verse. The whole family. We're part of a family. You ever been part of a blended family or a mixed family and... It's hard. Christians are part of the biggest blended family in the world. <laughs> and when, when, when somebody in your family begins to go off and do their own thing and whatever, like it affects the rest of the family, doesn't it? And that's the way it works. We're all part of a family. Amos 3.3 says, do two walk together unless they've agreed to do so? The answer is no. They need to walk together. It's like Galatians. If we live by the Spirit, we should walk by the Spirit. And God is telling them, he's like, listen, I've been walking alongside you, and then all of a sudden you veered off, and the Spirit of God's over here saying, hey, hey, you're missing it. Hey, you're missing it. 
And that's, he said, oh, you can't walk that way. We've agreed to stand side by side and to walk in this together. Amos 3.7 says, Surely the sovereign Lord does nothing without revealing his plan to his servants, the prophets. God speaks through prophets. God speaks through prophets. I need to say that. It's always been God's method to reveal these things to his own people. And he often shares his plans through the prophetic first. When I think about the prophetic of today, uh, I like to point back to Jesus because Jesus was prophetic too. He was walking, actually he was riding into Jerusalem when he's about to go to the cross and he sees the city of Jerusalem and he says that this place is going to get wiped out. And 40 years later, that's exactly what happens. And so Jesus says, I can't wait till they get what's coming to them. No, okay, you guys are going, no, he didn't say that. Everybody's like, what? No, he didn't say that. He's up in heaven going, see, told you so. I knew that was going to happen. No, what did he do? He wept over the city. He wept over the city. When's the last time you wept over the state of our nation? The state of your family, the state of the church? Jeremiah, there are many prophets that were around in his day as well. And there were prophets that were telling them, hey, it's going to be two years, and then you're going to be back in the promised land again. I know that you're out here. And so everybody's listening to them, and Jeremiah's like, no, it's going to be 70 years. So which camp would you rather listen to? (laughs) They're listening to the camp over here saying, like, two years, you'll get back to where you want to go. And he's like, you guys are encouraging them to have these dreams. You're encouraging these prophets to say things that you want them to know. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, it says, For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, that's important, but you, keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of the evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. Now, when you see the word itching ears there, a lot of times, a lot of us seem to think that itching ears is somebody else. (laughs) The word itching ears actually means that you want to hear something pleasant. But what I was thinking is when, when the Apostle Paul wrote this to Timothy, I mean, there's like a letter system. How are they going to gather around a bunch of people that say what they want to hear? Because this isn't about his day. It's about our day. And we have YouTube. And we have everything else that we can gather around what we want to hear. Now, I need to say this because I need to be very clear. We are to eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. Especially prophecy. So don't, don't mishear me here. We need the prophetic anointing in the church of America. We need the prophets speaking for God. So with all the silliness and the ability to gather prophetic words around us to support our eco chamber, how do we do this? I want to give you four really quick things because this is just kind of a sidebar, but I believe that this is important. Number one, you'll recognize them by their fruit, not their gifts. You'll recognize them by their fruit, not their gifts. If the person is impatient, unloving, unkind, demanding, grumpy, self-centered, and disrespectful, Jesus himself says they cannot be a true prophet. Jesus said that. You'll notice them by their fruit, not their gifts. And fruit isn't followers. Fruit is character. 
Number two, they're particularly humble. It says that Moses was the most humble person on the earth at that time. The prophets are humble. That means that they are willing to be tested, that they're able to be tested, that they're teachable, that they're open, and sometimes to say, I, got, I get it wrong sometimes. Because where do we start? Like somebody's a baby prophet, and then they turn into an, a more mature prophet, right? There's, there's, a, there's a process there, right? And they're growing in that gifting. If a person tends to chatter too much with their own personal opinions and ideas, then it's hard to distinguish the voice of God. Number three, it agrees with Scripture. Too many people send me videos to watch, and, and I go, no, no, no. Here's what this says. I read the Bible to find out what I need to know. Prophetic words should challenge us to turn to the Lord and have a redemptive plan tied to it. And number four, servants. They're servant-hearted. They're focused more on the outcome than the income, if you know what I mean. So what's the outcome? People turning into the image of Jesus Christ. People being transformed into Christ's image. And if that's not happening, then we should be a little concerned. Amos chapter 4, verse 1. Hear this word, you cows of Bashan on Mount Samaria. You women who oppress the poor and crush the needy and say to your husbands, bring us some drinks. These are the housewives of L.A. (laughs) The housewives of Israel. This is what's happening right here. They're like, bring us some drinks. Yeah, you work. You you oppress people so that we can get some more money. And then we'll, you know, this is exactly what's happening. Now, when he says cows of Bashan, he's not calling these women fat for the record. Okay, remember he's a shepherd, and so he's bringing it into shepherding, like, terminology. The cows of Bashan were like the Angus beef. Like, they were the the top-of-the-line cows, right? They're the ones that, like, looked pretty and everything, and they kept them in the nice stables and everything like that. And so he's describing the women of Israel like this. They're indulgent, and they demand their families to, to basically do things for them so that the final outcome is injustice. Amos says this, you just keep on sinning. And he goes down the line. He says, there was a famine, and you still didn't turn to me. There was a drought, and you didn't return to me. There were plagues, you didn't return to me. There was COVID, and you didn't return to me. That's not in there. Just checking to see if you're awake. God was also allowing Assyria to peck at the nation of Israel, like a bird. You ever seen a bird? Like, got him. Just kind of mess with them, you know? And he says, I've had Assyria messing with you, and that's going to be the final straw. You know, I noticed at the beginning of COVID, there were so many people that came together. There was so much prayer movements that started, and it it was beautiful. And for about two weeks, it was, like, awesome, and and we're seeing this happen and everything. And then we got to week three, then week four, and then week five, and then month two, you know, month three. And, man, did it get messy. You know, we quickly create idols when God is not moving fast enough for us with his plans. Think of Moses up on the mountaintop, right? He's up there receiving the instructions from God. And what are the people doing down below? Building a golden calf and worshiping that. Why? And it even says, because he was too long in coming down. We try to do things in our own power when God's not moving fast enough for us instead of waiting and praying and believing and standing firm on what he's already said. We continue to try to figure out our own ways through our own ingenuity. 
there's something called the cobra effect that's uh, called this in business, actually. And uh, the cobra effect is actually based on a true situation that happened when the British were ruling over India. What was happening is in many of the cities, the cobras were coming and they were biting people and killing them. So there was too many cobras in India. And so they said this, here's what we're going to do. Everybody that kills a cobra, we're going to give an incentive and you get money if you kill a cobra. Well, this is great. For a while, it's working and and they're killing all these cobras until somebody gets the plan. I'm going to keep birthing more cobras. I'm going to make all these cobras And so all of a sudden, there's more cobras coming in, and they're like, what's going on? They're losing all this money, and they realize this incentive didn't work. And by the end of it, they they released more cobras out into the wilderness than there were in the first place. That's what happens when we try to do things in our own ingenuity. Then he goes on and he says, seek me and live. Don't seek these other ways. He says, seek me and live. Don't seek Bethel which is where idol worship was happening. Don't seek Dan, which is another place where idol worship is happening. And so he's like, don't keep going back and forth to all these other things, trying to figure out how to make it work. You need to seek me if you want to live. I want to read this verse too, and we're going to keep this one on the screen. Amos chapter 5, verse 7 says, There are those who turn justice into bitterness and cast righteousness to the ground. I don't need to tell you, but the uh, election of 2020 was pretty nuts, wasn't it? (laughs) I mean, in in our nation, it was like neighbor versus neighbor, church member versus church member, and signs in the yards, and it was was chaos. And and I remember right during the time when when they were trying to figure out if uh, Biden won or Trump won, and they were doing these recounts and all that craziness, and my wife was on the way with our neighbor and their kids to Philadelphia for a trip for the day. So it was my wife in the front seat, it was uh, what she was driving, and then their wife was in the front seat, and then her two kids, and then our two kids in the back. Well, there's a ding that goes off in the car, and they just started on this trip, and when, the, when it went off, all of a sudden she goes, yay, Biden won. And the two kids behind her, her kids go, yay, Biden. My daughter goes, boo, Biden. And I quote, my son says, I'm going to poop in Biden's shoes. End quote. I'm not even joking. My wife said, like, I was, she was like, I was mortified. We didn't talk the entire rest of the trip, the whole way out there. I'm like, what is wrong? I mean, who says that? Now you guys will know if you see something on the news, you know, he's like somebody defecated in the president's shoes. That's what it was. Gray Merrill. Why? Why would our kids act like this? Because we've turned justice to bitterness. When I speak to our youth and the youth culture, and I hear how political and and, um, angry and frustrated that they are with everything happening in our nation, and I thought to myself, I, I I never had that, like, growing up. I mean, there were some people that were, like, involved with stuff like that, but, man, not to the degree I see today. There's so much anger and frustration and And that can be dangerous. You know, I think about justice when I think about what's happening right now with the Roe v. Wade stuff. And and you see people with signs that say abortion is murder. And you see people with signs that say my body and my choice. But let me remind you, somewhere in the middle, there's a scared young lady that doesn't know what to do. Justice is about people, not opinions. 
Justice is about people, not opinions. And I remember when that scared little girl was my sister knocking on the back door of my neighbor's house because I was babysitting. And she had tears streaming down her face as a 17-year-old and came up to me and I said, you're pregnant, aren't you? And she said, yeah. And so it's so easy to think about justice in terms of the courts, but let's remember, justice is about people. And thank God today I have a beautiful 13-year-old niece named Audrey. But let's remember, justice is about people. David Brooks said this in the New York Times. He said, over the last half century, we've turned politics from a practical way to solve common problems into a cultural arena to display resentments. Amos chapter 6, verse 12, do horses run on the rocky crags? Does one plow the sea with oxen? The answer is no. But you have turned justice into poison and the fruit of righteousness into bitterness. In the church, we've too often delegated justice and righteousness to conventional American politics. I'm just going to say this and leave it there. Political power is not a moral disinfectant. Political power is not a moral disinfectant. Back in the 1970s, Leslie Newbegin, a prominent thinker on post-Christianity in the UK, he predicted that as the West secularized, religion would not go away, it would redirect to politics. Man, wasn't that prophetic? We've become more globally aware, but locally inactive. I'll give you an example. I bet a lot of you know a lot about Elon Musk and the Johnny Depp trial, but do you know your neighbor? Have you knocked on their door? Have you invited them to dinner? The problem is we get a, uh, the same dopamine rush through politics, especially online, as somebody does playing video games. I don't need to tell you this, but I mean, I, I, mean, I will, but I used to play video games a lot in college, and uh, I can tell you I would sit there for like four hours straight, and then at the end, if I get this rush like I've completed something, like I've accomplished something, but then when I stand up and walk away, nothing happened. I'm no further ahead than I was when I sat down. We just have to be careful of imputed virtue that our eco chambers give us. Sometimes we think we're virtuous because we have the right opinions, when in reality, that's not what our lives look like. James 3, 9 and 10 says, With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. We live in a nation where people have signs in their yard cursing out the President of the United States. As believers, we're not allowed, I'm going to say this twice, as believers, we're not allowed to use unholy means to bring about justice of a holy God. I'm going to say that again. As believers, we're not allowed to use unholy means to bring about justice of a holy God. And it's just not allowed. It's not part of our, our, our warfare. It's not part of our repertoire, you know? That's just not allowed. And I know I, knew I wouldn't get a lot of amens with this message, by the way. I knew that this would be like one of those, like, ooh, got him, you know? But I'm stepping on my own toes. My son said he'd poop in the president's shoes, Okay. And people will say to me, he's a Pastor Chris, look at the gas prices. Pastor Chris, look, look at the state of our nation. Look at our school systems. Look at all these things. And I would say, look at Peter when he wrote, honor the emperor. Well, he means good emperors. No, do you know who the emperor was? Emperor Nero. 
Emperor Nero, well, well, you don't understand, like, he didn't get into office the right way. Emperor Nero's mom poisoned the previous emperor so her son could be king, and then he killed her. And he would dip Christians in oil and put them on stakes and light them on fire while still alive for the illumination of his parties. You imagine that party. Show up and hand you a drink. Oh, thanks. Whoa, you know, like, what, what kind of party is this? Like, seriously, and he writes, honor the emperor? Are you kidding me? (laughs) To honor, though, and listen to this, does not mean to obey everything. Does not mean to not oppose them. Does not mean to agree with them. But it does mean to show high regard. Bitterness has become a major stumbling block for godly justice in our nation. And bitterness and offense is a breeding ground for deception. Hebrews 12 says, Make every effort to live at peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Bitterness has been sneaking in to the justice of our nation. Now, I don't have time to go into uh, chapter 5. Chapter 5 is where all the main verses are that people think about. Uh, like the one that says, let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. And we say amen when it means what we want it to mean. <laughs> but what he's saying here is he's pointing back and he's going, God is saying, I hate your religious festivals. You come in and you do all these things and you, and you sing the right songs and you move up and down and, and you give the right sacrifices, but your hearts, they're far from me and they're not taking care of your neighbors. You're not taking care of the people around you. Dallas Willard says, such streams cannot flow through corrupted souls. Amos 6.1, woe to you who are complacent in Zion and to you who feel secure on Mount Samaria, you notable men of the foremost nation to whom the people of Israel come. Verse 6, you drink wine by the bowlful and use the finest lotions, but you do not grieve over the ruin of Joseph. They're high in their towers and their, their, their lives are great and they've got everything going on, but they're not doing anything when it comes to justice. Now, I don't have time to go through chapter 6. Chapter 7, uh, he begins to have some visions of what's going to happen to Israel. What's interesting, though, is he has a vision And God says, this is how I'm going to deal with them. And Amos prays and says, take it away, Lord. And the Lord relents. And then he says, I'm going to do this to the nation. And then Amos prays and says, no, Lord, please don't. And he relents. And same thing again. And then this prophet shows up from the king. Now, what was happening is there were these paid prophets in the kingdom who they would say basically what what. Everybody wanted to hear, and they came from the school of the prophets. So they see Amos, the shepherd from the south, and they're like, who are you? You weren't in school with us. Like, who, who are you? And he comes and he says, I can't believe you're saying this to the king. Get out of here, you shepherd. You don't know what you're talking about. And Amos, I mean, can you imagine? Amos is still praying for this nation. Amos is still praying for the people of God. And then finally in Amos chapter 8, God says, the harvest is over. It's, it's time. It's time for judgment to come. And at this, this is the first point where you see that Amos doesn't really argue. I mean, it's like he talks about ripe fruit. The problem with ripe fruit is it's ripe. Anything after this is 
It's done. And he says this to them. But I do have to say, at the end, at Amos chapter 9, it speaks about a remnant. And, and here's the important thing when it comes to the Word of God. I, I mean, I know a lot of this message wasn't like, oh, yay, Chris, I can't wait to go back out into this world. <laughs> you know, but, but what I am saying here is there's always a remnant people. God always has a people. In Amos 9.9, he says, For I will give the command, and I will shake the people of Israel among all the nations, as grain is shaken in a sieve, and not a pebble will reach the ground. He's going to shake it out. He's going to purify it. And out will come a remnant people. For a child of God, God's punishment is for purification. It's the same fire that, that consumes straw, purifies gold. And God uses exile to sift people, not to destroy them, but to purify him. So what if we're in a purification stage as a church? What if God is calling us to stand fast on his word and and to continue to stand on what he's called us to do? Because here's the thing, I I say these things and everybody's like, oh man, judgments is coming. Pastor Chris, thanks. Like, is, is judgment coming on America? I don't know is the answer. But what I do know is there will be a remnant people. Is there will be a people that stand. And God's word says that not to have a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. And too much of our our justice system is standing on fear. And I'm talking about every side, right and left. And the church. We're fearful about what tomorrow is going to hold. Why? Why do we need to be fearful when we say, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, I know he holds the keys to the kingdom. And I'm watching a generation, Generation Z, rising up, and they're afraid. They're afraid of what they're being handed, and we don't need to do that. We don't need to pass the bitterness and the anger on to the next generation. We need to clean up the president's shoes. (laughs) And we, we need to stand. So what's the fruit of righteousness? It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. It's, these are the things it says... There is no law against these things. You can't can't beat this. This is it. And if our godly justice would be accurate and correct, that will be the outcome. That we will be formed into the image of Jesus Christ because ultimately that is what we are called to. To be transformed into his image. I'm going to ask the worship team if you can come up here for a minute. So it's not by might. Not by power, but by his spirit. And he says we don't have to have the spirit of fear or timidity, but power, love, and a sound mind. My prayer for you, church, is that you would not have a spirit of fear, but power and love and a sound mind. I had the question the other day from somebody. They're like, so, so should the church stay out of politics? No. No. Stay out of politics. But don't we have like separation of church and state? I said by nature, you can't keep the church out of the state. Why is that? Because the church isn't an organization. It's a people. And we need people of God in positions to make a difference. And so you can't, you can't like separate that justice from this justice. Like, we're, we're full human beings. But what I am saying is maybe, maybe, 
instead of the fruit of righteousness being bitterness, the fruit of righteousness begins to turn into love and compassion and care and joy. And we switch this thing. And we turn this corner. And we stop getting mad at our neighbors and start inviting them in for a meal. (laughs) And be the people of God. We stand on the word of God. Now, I'm not saying to change your convictions. We believe in the sanctity of life. We believe in the sanctity of marriage. As authorized by the word. Because we stand on this word. But somewhere out there, there's a scared young lady that needs help. Somewhere out there, there's, there's, a, there's a couple living a, a relationship that's outside of God's word that needs somebody to love them. and Show them what the kingdom of God really looks like. J. Vernon McGee wrote uh, a commentary on the book of Amos. And uh, this is the last sentence of the commentary. And I'll share it with you. He wrote this in 1983. If we as ministers fail to give out the word of God, there is no reason for us to point our fingers at politicians in Washington and accuse them of failing our country and jeopardizing our nation. My friend in the ministry, if you're not giving out the word of God, there is no other traitor in this land today as guilty as you are. If you are called to be a minister, you're called to be a minister of the word of God. If you are not giving that word out, you are a traitor to the cause of Christ today. These are strong words I know, just as Amos' words are strong. We stand on the word of God. Yeah, but Pastor Chris, no, we stand on the word of God. Yeah, but you don't understand. No, we stand on the word of God. We bring people back to this word, to a loving father who cares enough about us to, to teach us his commands and to show us what's actually going to be a life worth living. A resurrected, powerful life. You know, your resurrected life doesn't start when you get to heaven. It starts now. We walk it out in our nation today. But aren't you worried about, yeah, I am, okay? I have kids that are being raised in the environment that is what we call, but it doesn't change the fact that I'm going to raise my kids to love God and love his word. To walk by the Spirit. So the Spirit never goes, hey, 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 you're you're not walking with me. No, we're going to walk. If we live by the Spirit, then we walk with the Spirit. We listen to His commands and what He's saying. And He will open up avenues. And He will open up nations and tribes and tongues. And I just have to tell you, if this word doesn't work in Mexico or Canada or Russia or the Ukraine, then it's not the word of God. This word spans all nations and all tribes. It's part of a kingdom that is greater than any kingdom. And I thank God that I live in America where I can still do this freely, publicly. But I also pray for those that right now are are hiding away because of bombs going off. But what are they surrounded? They're surrounding this word. They're saying, Lord, speak to us. Feed me, Lord. Be the bread of life that I need to sustain me today. I'm going to ask you to stand. And I'm going to ask uh, the prayer leaders if you guys could come down to the front. Now, this isn't a message where it's like, oh, man, I need to repent of my government affiliation stuff. Don't do that, okay? Then none of that. Like I said, none of this am I saying right, left, up, down, okay? 
What I am saying is gas prices don't change this. Roe v. Wade being overturned doesn't change this. No, that's the Spirit of God. And so I'm going to pray in this moment, and I want to encourage you to pray with me, because I'm praying this prayer too, that we would be the remnant people, that we're not going to be the people that are washed right and left by all the whims of this world and every word that comes around. No, we're going to be steadfastly focused and fixed with our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. And when everybody wants to sway us back and forth, they said, no, it's this way. This is the way. This is what he said. No, but you don't understand, Chris. I mean, you, you can still love Jesus. and do, No, no, he said all of this. He said all of this. And so let's, let's agree together. Lord Jesus, we thank you, God, for your word. We thank you, Lord, for, for the power that comes in your word, God. Today, Lord, we recognize, Lord, that you are good and you are faithful above all other things, Lord. We do. We pray for this nation. God, we pray for this land. We pray for your church, God, the family of believers, Lord, that we would stand firm upon your word and what it says. And God, we would, we would do so and we would enact justice out of love and not revenge and anger. God, that we would completely submit to your will because ultimately, Lord, that is what will bring prosperity and success in our lives. Not some prosperity gospel, but Lord, the fruit of the Spirit. God, right now, I believe that there's people in this room that that just said, "I, I need that fruit. I don't have that fruit. I need that. Lord, right now, would you fill them with your spirit? Would you fill them, Lord, to overflowing, God, with your goodness and your kindness, Lord? I thank you, Lord, that it's your kindness that leads to repentance, not your fear. Not being afraid of you, Lord, that you are a kind, loving God that wants us to turn towards you, God. If there's anybody in this room that needs to repent and turn from their ways that have not aligned with your word, God, today, let it be. Let your will be done, God. Would we turn and see your face shining upon us yet again? Lord, we believe it because you said it. It is so.